Hi, it's Ian Brody here. Welcome to the More Clients Podcast and the very first episode of our Membership Site Mastery mini-series. Over the next few podcasts, we'll be focusing in on how you can build a membership site that brings tremendous value to your members and builds you a very nice business. In those episodes, I'll be sharing some of my own experiences and thoughts and ideas on creating membership sites. And I'll also be sharing some interviews I've done with people who are experts on membership site strategy, who built membership sites and who run their own profitable membership site businesses. So all in all, it'll give you a complete view on how you can create your own membership site. Now, for this first first episode, my very special guest is Robbie Kelman-Baxter. Robbie's the author of the Amazon number one hot new release, The Membership Economy, Find Your Super Users, Master the Forever Transaction, and Build Recurring Revenue. She created the popular business term Membership Economy, and she's the founder of Peninsula Strategies, LLC, a strategy consulting firm that's advised dozens of associations, entrepreneurs, and corporations, including Netflix, SurveyMonkey, and the National Restaurant Association. Welcome to the podcast, Robbie. Thanks so much for having me, Ian. I'm glad to be here. It is a real pleasure. Hey, I am going to jump straight in to questions. Um, and in your book, um, and uh, generally, you, you kind of introduced this term, the membership economy. And very early on, you kind of make the bold statement that in your view, the membership business model, the membership economy, is replacing the traditional transaction-based business model. Can you say a little bit more about that? What trends do you see that you think are, are driving that? Yeah, so, um, you know, the membership economy is about formal, ongoing relationships between organizations and their customers or their, their members, as the case may be. And that's something that people have always wanted. You know, we want to belong. If you think about Maslow's hierarchy in the 1940s, you know, the psychologist, he said, you know, after our basic needs have been met, we want to mitigate risk. We want to be recognized and belong. We want to be admired by our peers and have status. And we ultimately want self-actualization, which is, you know, basically reaching your full potential. Mm -hmm. So it's not new. It's just that technology is extending the ability of organizations to provide that kind of relationship. So one by one, and now, you know, now it's really becoming more of a tidal wave. All kinds of organizations are moving from transactional, which is anonymous, not always trustworthy, um, you know, to this new model, which is, you know, relational instead of transactional. It's about access instead of ownership. And it's about a multidirectional open conversation among like-minded people. So that's really what, what people want. And organizations that are doing that are seeing the results in terms of uh, predictability of revenue and overall profits. I guess you could say that um, some very good organizations have always meant, you know, had in the past that kind of relationship with their customers, but it's been based on a series of repeated one-off transactions, whereas nowadays we're, it's almost become more formal, more institutionalized. If the, if the business model underneath it is a regular recurring revenue rather than the customer having, them, having to make the decision every time, will I go back and will I buy again, um, it's kind of almost a firmer foundation for a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess also it felt it felt to me as if you were, when you were speaking about our you know our historical need for membership for feeling part of a community. I guess maybe the, these sort of 
you know, membership organizations and membership communities or maybe replacing some other communities we've been part of in the past, you know, our local neighborhood, the people, you know, we, we so many yeah. of us barely know next door neighbors these days, um, but we know people online um, who we're connected with and we're part of a community with much, much more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people have greater freedom than ever before to choose the communities they want to be a part of and not be limited by physical proximity. Right. So from a business person's perspective, then, and if that person is thinking towards moving to a membership model for their business, what are the benefits of running your business as a membership type model? You already mentioned, obviously, having more regular and consistent income rather than it being lumpy based on, you know, large transactions. But, but I know that you see a lot more benefit beyond just the, the, the financial transaction side. Yeah, absolutely, Ian. Um, you know, in addition to the recurring predictable revenue, which, you know, frankly is the holy grail for most, mm. most business owners, um, because it allows you to, to plan. It allows you to invest with confidence. Um, it allows you to manage staffing better. Um, but, but more than that, there are other benefits that you can get. Um, when you, when you have a membership relationship with your customers, uh, they feel more engaged. They are more likely to bring in new members. They are more likely to help existing members because they're part of a community and not just anonymous transactors. And they're more likely, and it's easier to get feedback from them, both, both, um, in the form of, you know, solicited feedback, like, you know, fill out this survey or answer this question that I have, but also through their, their behavior, you know, you can track what is it that they're actually reading? What is it that they're actually doing? How often do they log in? How often do they walk into the store? Um, so all of that information allows business people to create better services and pro- products and to constantly evolve. That's, you know, part of what Netflix has done. Um, you know, my mentor, Alan Weiss, who's known as the million dollar consultant, um, you know, that's what, what he talks about in terms of how he's evolved the offerings that he's been able to provide and a huge part of his success. That's, that's really interesting because I think many of the listeners will, will know Alan from his books, et cetera. And, I guess, you know, if we, I, I think I first read Million Dollar Consultant, um, back in pro, oh, who knows, about 2000 and something early, um, as I was about to switch jobs in consulting and I was thinking of setting up, setting up my own firm. And uh, I remember I was in Hong Kong actually re- reading it. Uh, and, and if you read Alan's stuff back in those days, I guess you could say he had a very traditional marketing model of build your marketing gravity through speaking, through publishing, et cetera. But he's evolved over time, and now he's doing so much more online. That's an interesting thing to see for, for someone who became, became so famous through traditional marketing and tr- through traditional business models for an independent uh, it was quite quick to jump onto emerging business models as well. Yeah, well, the thing about, about Alan is that he's constantly evolving, and I think this is a key message for, for your community. Um, you know, uh, you don't want to fall in the trap of – your own success and saying, okay, I sold this product. Everybody loves it. So I'm going to keep selling it. Or this channel has always worked for me. So that's my channel. You've got to always be, you've got to always be tinkering. Mm. And the thing that stays constant is your value proposition, your mission, but everything else can change. Okay. Okay. And I like, I like the way you said tinkering this. You're not abandoning everything that's currently working. No, um, you're keeping going with that, but on God, the side, no. <laughs> you're experimenting with new things. And then when you find out that that would work better, then you switch, you begin to switch that in. 
Yeah, absolutely. And this can be true of your marketing tactics, like you, you mentioned with Alan. You know, he's really evolved in how he connects with his community and also with his prospects. Um, but it can also be true of how, how and what you're delivering. You know, um, if your mission is, you know, like in Alan's case, his mission is to help consult independent consultants to thrive. That's been his mission. That was his mission when you read the book 10 years ago. That's his mission if you were to talk to him this afternoon. It, it hasn't changed at all. But what he's realized over time is that what consultants need in order to thrive uh, is maybe bigger than he thought. It's maybe changing over time. And so he's always looking for new things. So, so for example, you know, back in the day, he was talking a lot about your marketing strategy and how to reach out and how to be known and how to build gravity. Now he's talking about how to leverage your time, um, how to increase the value you provide even as you're decreasing your labor intensity. Um, he's talking about how to change your mindset, to have a mindset of abundance instead of a mindset of scarcity. You know, those kinds of things were not part of his early books, um, but they sure do help the same people with the same goal. Okay, so so keep true to the mission, but evolve your methods and your your delivery yep. as as new as new things become possible, and and always be looking for those new things. Mm. Always be looking. You so know, what, that, yeah. What about what about customers and clients? Because obviously there are benefits to a business of having a membership model, but you you've got to persuade your customers, your clients, that it's good for them as well. Otherwise, they won't come on board. What have you found as the main benefits? to customers and clients of being a customer of a membership model? Yeah, so um, there's there's a couple of benefits. There's the ones we talked about with the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy in terms mm-hmm. of your core benefits. But also, you know, we have needs that don't change. And, and I talk in the book about this idea of the forever transaction. And when I work one-on-one with entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, we always start with that. What is What is that? reason that somebody would sign up to work with you and say, you are my person or you are my company forever. I'm, as long as I have this need, I want you to solve it. Um, so like I've been working with Alan for 12 years. Um, you know, people go to the same gym for many, many, many years if mm-hmm. that gym is solving their problem, right? The, the equipment changes, the kinds of courses they offer change, the kinds of services they offer change, but their core mission of helping people like me to get and stay fit and whatever people like me means, you know, I don't really want to go out and look for another gym. That's, I, I, that's, you know. that's a really good point, though. The, the you, you, There's almost like a tacit agreement between you and someone who signs up to a membership program yes. that you will continue to evolve your delivery to meet their needs so they don't have to go through all the pain of having to find someone else who does it better. Absolutely. And, and that is... That is the membership economy in a nutshell, more elegantly probably than I said it in the book even. <laughs> so um, kudos to you. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I, it's interesting. I, I, I'm i quite – I know in the book you, you say you're quite a joiner, um, so you like to join into communities, etc. Yes. I, I must admit I'm normally a bit of a loner, but um, I have found things like even with – with things like software, where I've traditionally always wanted to buy, I want to own it. I have a sense of ownership. You know, why, why should I be paying for this monthly? If I want something, I'll just buy it, and then it's mine, and I've got it. But of course, you find fairly soon that once you've bought something, there's very little incentive 
for the company who's produced that to keep yes. on updating it, keep improving it. I mean, that might be the case for when their market is still expanding and they need you to say good things about it so that, uh, so that, you know, you, you, you encourage new customers. But a lot of times I've bought a one off, one off piece of software. And of course, as, as the world's changed, as the internet's changed, as technology's changed, that software just hasn't kept up to date. But if you're paying for it monthly, they've got to keep up to date. Otherwise, you switch to someone else. Absolutely. And, you know, like nobody understands that better than, than SurveyMonkey, you know, and they invest so heavily in R&D, um, you know, to help, you know, what they say is their mission is to help people make better decisions. Mm-hmm. And they started as a, you know, relatively simple, uh, very simple software as a service, right? Mm-hmm. You, you could um, create your own, your own survey, send it out, see the results. Then they added, um, you know, very, very sophisticated ways to analyze that yeah. data. Then they've added, um, uh, they've added panels so that, you know, you could say, I want to send this, this survey out to people that meet these criteria. SurveyMonkey can find those people for you and get you those, those completed, uh, surveys. So they keep evolving what they're doing. They're looking at the audience. They're looking at the, the experiences that they can create for you. They're creating communities for people that have similar jobs and do similar kinds of research to help one another. They're creating templates. So they keep investing, but the price doesn't go up. And, you know, if you use SurveyMonkey as your kind of default tool for surveys, you're kind of assuming that they're going to keep evolving. Mm. And they know that. They keep evolving because they know that one day you're going to look up and say, is SurveyMonkey actually good? And what they want to happen is that you look at the other alternatives and you say, wow, SurveyMonkey is actually so much better than anything else out there. I don't need to worry about this again. Yeah. You, you just, there's no, there becomes no point in, it's just a wasted effort to, to look outside. Yeah. Yeah. We're all busy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So we've established that membership models can have significant advantages, both for businesses who run them and their clients, but there are, there are different types of membership models. And I know you cover a number in the book. Uh, for you, what, what are the main ones that you think could be good options for people listening to the podcast? So they're probably going to be service business owners like consultants or coaches or, you know, a photographer, an architect. Um, so people who essentially deliver one-to-one services mainly and are looking at membership models to kind of add to that initially, but then maybe maybe also replace it. Yeah, absolutely. So what you're thinking about, if you if you're if you have expertise um, and you're some kind of a of a teacher, a thought leader, um, an expert, what you want to do is you want to codify your expertise first of all. You want to put it in a format that you can share it with more than more than one person at a time. Mm-hmm. So you can do that um, physically or you can do that digitally. And I actually encourage people to explore both. So if you take the example of the photographer, right? So maybe now they're taking pictures of, of people's events and maybe they're even um, working one-on-one to help people take their own pictures. Mm-hmm. Well, they can create uh, online materials to help people uh, learn, you know, written materials, like mini courses, or, you know, depend, they can be as sophisticated or, or as simple in terms of their packaging as, as they want. They can do videos, audio, um, certainly all of that kind of content. Um, they can reach out to people who are photo enthusiasts. They should pick their segment, I think, early on. Like, are they working with, right. are they a photo instructor's photo instructor? Do they work with professional photographers or are they working with people who are really intimidated about picking up a camera mm. or people who are trying to take better pictures on their phones. 
you know, having a target audience is critical. What's the forever transaction that they're promising? Well, I'm going to keep making you a better photographer. I'm going to go out and keep finding information and techniques that will make you more successful. So, so, so that implies yeah. that the need you're going for has to be an ongoing need. So I guess you, uh, yes. you know, a someone helping someone prepare for their wedding is not necessarily a great membership model because hopefully at some point that, that will actually happen and they'll not need yeah. it anymore. Well, helping so, someone be a great parent lasts for a much longer time. Yeah. So funny story um, that, you know, LinkedIn, uh, the, the kind of global leader in um, professional mm. online communities, um, when the founders, uh, launched LinkedIn. They had already launched a pretty successful company called SocialNet, which was a um, an online dating site. Okay. And what one of the things that they said when they were trying to come up with their next big idea was, let's do something where if we're really good at building a community, people actually stay for more than six months. Mm. And they said, what has a nice long life? And they said, people's careers, you know, from the time, you know, now, like I have a 17-year-old daughter, like she and her friends are getting on LinkedIn and I have a, you know, a father in his seventies who's mostly retired. He's active on LinkedIn. So they have this nice long runway. You want to find that forever transaction that lasts, you know, ideally as long as possible. There's nothing wrong with, you know, being a wedding site or a, or a dating site. Those communities can be extremely um, active and useful for a finite period of time. But you just have to know that the lifetime customer value is going to be based on yeah. a shorter term. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so that, 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 that's the kind of start of the thinking is to, is to find the right niche, make sure it's a, it's something where you can have a, a forever relationship with people in there. And then think about the kind of ways you could get your insights, expertise across to them. Um, so that, that feels like a kind of content based membership program. Is there anything else you, you, you think, you know, w- w- if we look at, um, Alan Weiss, for example, who you talked about earlier, um, yeah. I think Alan has different levels, doesn't he, in his program where he has ones which are pure content, but others which have access to, to him, others which have access to other mentors who he's trained. Is that is that kind of like a second step? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm actually one of Alan's trained uh, master mentors, um, and I did that after working with him for about eight years um, and having a, a pretty robust uh, consulting business and mm-hmm. speaking business. Um you know, what I would say to go back to the example of the photographer, um, you know, once you have this community, uh, there are going to be people who say, I want more than just, you know, this online content. I want more. And so that's where you start thinking about other packaging of the same value, right? So some people are going to say, I'm willing to pay more um, if I can talk to you directly. Um, I'm willing to pay more to have access to my peers in a facilitated environment. So, you know, with Alan, he's tinkered with this for many years. So he has one-on-one coaching on the phone. Um, he has one-on, you know, that was big for a long time. Um, now he's added a kind of a super level called um, kick-ass and take names, which is, I think, quadruple the price. Um, but it's for people who are really, they want to come in, they spend two days with Alan, they get really deep into everything that they're doing. Um, and that's one-on-one. Um, in Alan's home. And then he also has courses where you can come physically to a hotel somewhere. And sometimes it's in Rhode Island close to his home. Cause again, he's about la- labor intensity, right? So better in Rhode Island than meeting somewhere, you know, where he has to fly. Um, but sometimes it's in a nice venue. Um, 
and people come together for all different kinds of courses. If the course is successful and there's lots of demand, he'll offer it again. If it's not, he doesn't. So back to the photographer example, you know, they could offer mastermind groups, one-on-one coaching, an annual conference. Um, and then what they can do, you know, you didn't ask, but the step three would be, then you start bringing other people in the community into high esteem, high prestige roles where they're actually doing the teaching. Right. Um, and the reason that's magical is because it lowers your labor intensity as the owner at the same time as it allows these other people to build their brands and generate revenue. So you really want to think about that as well as a key component of your model. But not, not something to kind of try and jump into straight away, but something to, to build towards. So yes. it's, it's, it's interesting when you, you mentioned the labor intensity, because in some ways um, it's almost going full circle, but, but in a good way, in the sense of um, when people start off, they're often doing one-to-one services. And the problem with that is they're not, you know, maybe not getting the scale and the leverage they'd like. Yep. And so they, they might want to move to a membership model where a lot more of it is being delivered online. Uh, and then we talked there just about, almost about going back to having a layer on top with the one-to-one or the group services. But I think the difference is because you've got that layer underneath, um, mm-hmm. frankly, you can charge a lot more. If all you have is one-to-one services and you have to meet everyone's needs with those one-to-one services, you've got to hit a price point where the people who, you know, you've got the, the people who would pay more, but you've got to get it low enough that the people who aren't going to pay a lot are happy taking it. But if you've got a, a membership level below your one-to-one, it's a premium and you can you can just focus on the people willing to pay more. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of beautiful things about this model. One of them is if you're providing all your content in sort of uh, a packaged format, you know, video, audio, mm-hmm. um, a text, um, people can kind of get up to speed before they talk to you. So you don't have to keep teaching each client the same basic steps. Yeah. And if somebody says, you know, I don't want to read that, I want you to teach me the basic steps, they're willing to pay a premium. Those people will pay a premium. Right. Um, and then the other thing is that it frees you up to go and learn new stuff. Mm. So, you know, if you're the photography um, instructor um, and you have to teach all these beginners all the time, all the basics, you're never going to have time to go out and research what is new, what is cutting edge, what are the best photographers doing, what's the new photography equipment, you know, and so you become static and boring and you fall behind. Mm. And so if you have these ways to get your audience and your community up to speed on the basic stuff, you can keep pushing, pushing the envelope and being a, a person of interest in your community. That's, that's really interesting. And you, you, you've begun to touch there on, on um, what I'm going to ask you the next question, which is really about mindset, because... Um, one of the things you talk about in the book is that how membership isn't just a marketing tactic to get more customers and more money. You know, you need the right organization for it. Or even if you are the only person in your organization, you need a different mindset to a traditional business. Um, so what what different ways do we need to think if we're going to be running a membership business? Yeah. So the bad news is if you're thinking of this as a quick way to make more money, um, you're probably going to fail at some point because um, here's the deal. You're, when you enter into a forever transaction with somebody, and this can be your client, like we've been talking about today, but it can also be your spouse. There are a lot of benefits, but there's also an expectation. And that's what you have to understand. You have to understand that these people 
they're going to be with you for a long time and they're going to expect you to know them as individuals. They're going to expect you to continue evolving and growing. Um, like we talked about mm. with this continuous tinkering and improvement and they're going to expect you to be at a very high level of integrity, authenticity and transparency. And if you don't do that, because they've committed more to this relationship than they would have to, let's say, a transactional one, they're going to be more hurt and more disappointed if you let them down, right. which translates into bad-mouthing, bad reviews, and kind of proactively um, trying to let people know that you're a fraud. Right. That, that, that's really interesting. So if you, if you buy a one-off thing from someone – what you take away, what you've got is the thing. And you almost begin to forget those. So six months later, you forgot yeah. the person you bought it from. You've got the exactly. thing. But, but if you, if you sign up for a, for a membership with someone, you feel closer to them. You feel as if, you're kind of putting yourself in their hands because as you said, you're expecting them to grow and keep developing, etc. So it's a bit like if you're. I don't know the difference between if, if, if someone who was a, a star of a film you saw and you quite like that film, but it was six months ago and you've never seen them in another film, you know, if they right. do something bad, um, versus, you know, the, the star of that TV show that you watch every week and you become really, really attached to, if they do something bad, you feel differently. You, you kind of feel, yeah. you feel mo much more let down. Yeah. Or even to, to take your metaphor or uh, one more level, if they're the person giving you the news, you're going to feel really like, and, and you find out that they're cheating on their spouse or they're um, doing something dishonorable. Um, you're going to take that very personally mm. because you're expecting that they're an honorable person that you can trust to give you the right news. So if you're in a position, you know, as most of your listeners are of being an expert that people are counting on for honest, straight advice. If you do something that feels dishonest, whether that's charging too much for something, um, claiming to be an expert on something that you actually don't know much about, or even behaving badly if you're, you know, because as you become more of a public figure, mm. um, that's gonna, that's gonna really create problems in your, in your business model in a way that selling stuff probably wouldn't. Yeah, because with selling stuff, you just move on to the next person to buy that stuff anyway. Whereas exactly. with with a membership model, you can't you can't lose all your all your people overnight. Right. You're in big trouble because the acquisition is slow. Actually, that brings me on to kind of acquisition and onboarding. Um, any tips for people on the best way of getting new members on board for a membership program? And what I'm thinking here is just going back to my my own mindset that by default I want to buy something. Mm -hmm. Um, and it feels to me as if I join a membership program, despite all the benefits of the, in some ways, community is a benefit that I stick around for, but I probably don't, it's not what I'm originally thinking of when I, when I sign up for something. Um, but, but I personally would get, you know, if I think I'm signing up for something, that's a commitment because I know it'll be coming, you know, month on month on month. Um, so how do you, what, what are the best ways of actually getting people over that hump? Of, of, oh, I've got to make a commitment. It, it feels a bit bigger than just a one-off decision. Yeah. So, so we're talking about after somebody has given you money, right? Uh, probably both. I mean, get, getting them, okay. I guess the, the acquisition first and then, of course, the onboarding to make sure that they go beyond just that, that first month. Okay. So I always start backwards. I start at the bottom of the funnel, which is how do you retain people? Right. Um, and you have to be really confident that you're going to be able to retain the people you acquire be 
before you start investing in acquisition or there's no point. You have a sieve instead of a funnel. Yes. A, a membership that people only stay in for two months isn't a membership. Right. And why bother? Like if you don't have enough value to keep people for the amount of time that you need to keep them in order for the model to be profitable for you, figure that out first with a small group of, of customers and then when you know, gosh, you know, like my best clients, my favorite clients are the ones that say, okay, once people find us, they stay forever, but nobody knows how to find us. Right. Then you go and you look at acquisition. But if they say, actually, people are leaving after a month or two, but we need to get more of them because they're leaving so quickly, I would say, no, no, no. You gotta, you gotta shore up your holes first. Okay. So once you have a really high lifetime customer value, yes, acquisition becomes, becomes easier. Because I guess you can afford to pay more in the first place in, well, in that course. sense of you're, you can advertise willing, more, you can do whatever, you're willing to do more. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's one key point. But also, um, the great thing about a membership model is that you're creating a giant magnet because all those people that are in your community are going to tell their friends and the colleagues about you because who knows better other people that could benefit from your community than the people in your community. They've experienced it. They've experienced the benefit and probably in their professional lives or, you know, their hobby lives, if it's the photographer, they're hanging around with other like-minded people mm. in the real world as well as in the, in the virtual world. So really so, the best acquisition strategy is to make sure you are retaining members um, and then you're harnessing those members to bring on yes. new new members, and it and having high retention also gives you the flexibility to invest more in acquisition. Yeah, absolutely. And so onboarding, onboarding is one of the pieces of ensuring retention right. because you know if we kind of work our way backwards, you know retention is somebody you know the people that are easiest to retain are people who are engaging on a regular basis with your community, and those are. You know, and the way that you can tell someone is engaging on a regular basis is to see how many times do they come to the site? Do they come to my live events? Do they call in? Do they post? Right? All of those things, which are now much easier to track. Mm. Um, and so then you say, okay, that's the behavior of my most successful, loyal members. Then you work your way backwards and you say, okay, the next step is onboarding. So when somebody signs up, they give me money, how do I, as quickly as possible, get them to start engaging in the way that I know is going to lead to them being a loyal part of the community. Mm. So you might do things like, I mean, it varies by organization, but you want to give them the experience of value as quickly as possible. Yeah. Like the minute they, they hit send on the uh, financial transaction, you want them to get something of value. It could be um, content. It could be um, a call from somebody saying, hey, congratulations. Welcome to the community. How can I help you? Could be a, a buddy that they get who's, you know, a little more experienced and already in the community who calls them and sort of says, let me show you around. Like I just joined the National Speakers Association mm. and it's actually, you know, I, I, you have to qualify, right? You have to actually make, um, you know, a good amount of money as, and be able to document it as a, as a speaker before you can join. And then I joined and you pay a lot. And, you know, they didn't do anything. There was nothing exciting and wonderful that happened immediately. Um, you know, and what I would have loved in that case is for a professional speaker that's already a member to call me. Yeah. And say, hey, Robbie, welcome. Tell me about your speaking. How can I help you? And, and frankly, you know, now that I've gone down the road a little bit with my speaking, and I've been doing a lot of keynotes all, you know, all over the country, um, if somebody called me and said, hey, I just joined 
the National Speaker Association. I've done a whole bunch of paid speeches in the last three months, and now I need to get serious. I would love to call them and help them because that makes me feel like I belong. That gives me a feeling of, you know, esteem, you know, that somebody's looking at me like, Robbie, she's really an expert. Mm. So, you know, I think that every organization could be thinking about how do I give people value the minute they pay me? Mm. Boom. How do you do that? And it's interesting, again, thinking back to your kind of lifetime value, um, making a call to people, A, is different to a normal online business model. But B, of course, if you do have a good lifetime lifetime value because you've got good retention, you can certainly afford it. And it doesn't have to be you. Mm, as you said, it can, you can enroll other people who are members of the community. You could say, like, you could reach out to your top 10 members in your community and say, hey, you guys have been with me for a long time. Um, you have great expertise. You know this stuff. You know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of the things that I'm teaching, you know as well as I do. Would you be willing to be an ambassador? And here's the deal. I would want you to make a welcome call. I'll, I'll send you an email, you know, you know, every, you know, every morning of, you know, these are the five people or once a week or whatever it is. It will be no more than this many people. And all I'm asking you to do is send them an email or make a phone call. And, um, you know, you can give them, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend paying them for that, something that small. Um, I would recommend giving them something that further establishes them as a leader in the community, mm. like, um, some kind of uh, uh, avatar on your online community, or it could be um, a T-shirt that says, you know, I'm a leader in this community or something that's, you know, more clever and catchy. You know, I have to say, I, I'm kind of scribbling some notes now because that, I'm just thinking, you know, I absolutely should do that in my own membership program. Because <laughs> yeah. right now, right now it's me making videos to all new members. And I'm thinking, actually, I suspect a member would be more interested in a real connection with another member because the, the assumption is also, well, it's easy for Ian to say these are the ways to look around and find find the stuff you need because he knows it all. But what I really want to right. hear from is another person who's been through what, I, what I've been through is just starting out in this community. Um, what's the best way of getting what you need from it? Yeah, you know what it's like, um, Ian? It's like when you're in school and sometimes like you're learning geometry or you're learning uh, physics and it's really hard and the teacher, even though they know so much about physics or even at, let's say in, in college, right, the professor knows so much about physics and they're writing books and they're doing research. And you're thinking, I don't, you know, I don't want to go to them to ask them how to solve for this, you know, how to solve for X, mm. right? They're, they're so far beyond that. And, and frankly, they're not even that good at explaining it no, anymore because they they're, so, it. Yeah. they're so far ahead of it. They're like, well, that's, that's obvious. You just, you just solve for X. Whereas <laughs> somebody who's a year ahead of you or even somebody who's in your class who actually understands that piece might be, a better resource for you. Mm. So actually we've begun to talk in, in many ways here about one of the, the most important factors for, for retention is, is the actual community associated um, with a membership program. And again, we're beginning to get into the, the, the thing you talk about a, a lot, which is super users. So yes. those people in your community who kind of already begin to go that extra mile and uh, become yes. leaders in the community. So, um, Overall, what, what, what role do, does the community itself and, and these super users play in the success of a membership program? The super users are like a flywheel for the growth and vibrancy of the community. Um, these are the people that go beyond being just a great member. So like if you said, who's a great member for you in your community, you'd probably say people who pay on time, <laughs> participate sometimes, 
um, and don't create, you know, that don't try to pull the organization in a different direction. Um, but a super user goes beyond that because they're actually bringing in new members, onboarding those, you know, onboarding people as they join, providing help and advice to their peers and, and encouragement and giving useful feedback. This is key. Useful feedback to you about where you should go next that is relevant to the community as a whole. So they're almost the voice of the community as well in terms of helping guide you towards mm-hmm. the next evolution of your membership program. Yeah, absolutely. So so I want to make a distinction here, though, because sometimes what can happen is that you think someone's a super user and they're actually not. So, you know, you have this loud voice telling you to go left when you know that, that the whole organization, the whole community really needs to be to go right. So, for example, if you're, um, let's say, Alan's community, right, Um you know, if somebody comes into Alan's community and they actually are trying to build a large consulting firm, right? And even if they pay a lot, participate a lot in the forums, go to every event, you know, talk to people, they're going to, the information, the, the things that they're going to be asking for, um, are going to be not relevant to the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I manage a large staff? What are the best options for payroll? You know, those questions aren't interesting to everybody else. So you have to be, that's an extreme example, but you have to be careful of that. Um, you know, another example of that, I work with a lot of professional associations. So these are like, you know, the association of, you know, physicians or nurses or scientists or restaurant owners. And what often happens is the people who are the super users, the ones that volunteer the most, the ones that end up in the board seats, often don't represent the group as a whole. Um, So like here, here's an example. I I won't name the organization, but they have a very glossy, expensive magazine that goes out to all their members. Mm -hmm. And they know that a lot of people don't read it. And they also know that it is the single most expensive thing that they do. And so they came to me and they said, you know, um, we want to figure out how to lower the costs of our magazine. And I said, oh, you mean like not have a magazine and figure out other ways to provide the same value to your members? And they said, no, 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 because our board, you know, the people on our board, they love the magazine. They love getting it. They read it. They keep it on their coffee table. I said, well, does anybody else, you know, is it bringing in new members? Is it retaining? Will somebody cancel their membership if you stopped having the magazine? No. Um, do people sign up for the subscription, you know, for the membership to be part of this, this nonprofit because of the magazine? No. Well, then get rid of the magazine. No, we can't because our super users love it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, they're board members, but they're not super users. They're not representative exactly. of the, they're the, not the core really, of the community. They're not really super users, and mm. that's exactly it. So, you know, you want you want to be careful, um, but at the same time, um, you want to bring in the people that look like they're, they're super users that are, that are ready to be engaged and, um, and give them lots of opportunities to give you, give you feedback. Yeah. They may be representative of the community as a whole, but maybe one or two steps ahead as yeah, opposed to going idea. in a completely different direction. Right. They're the, they're the ones, you know, I talked about how, um, you know, you're kind of, you should be at the cutting edge. You have your, your team that's, you know, helping people at the beginning and all of your packaged content that's helping people get through the first few levels, you know, sort of the, the 101 class as opposed to the advanced class. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the, the super users are the ones that are nipping on your heels, <laughs> that have eaten up all the content that you've provided them so far. And they're like, 
tell me about the new, the new, I'm really interested in these new cameras. Have you looked at them yet? You know, I'm really interested in this new trend in, you know, photography, you know, design, you know, what do you think of these photographers and what they're doing? How do I do that at home? You know, cause they're pushing, they're the ones that are pushing you in the direction you're going and helping you go faster. They're interested today in what everyone else will be interested in tomorrow. Exactly. Get you the right direction. Robbie, that's been really, really brilliant and insightful. Thank you so much for that. Hey, if people want to find out more about you and, of course, you know, get more of your advice, uh, where should they go? Um, well, they can get my book, The Membership Economy, Find Your Super Users, Master the Forever Transaction and Build Recurring Revenue. And they can get that on, um, you know, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, or, you know, in the Barnes and Noble stores or in, you know, independent booksellers near, near them. Um, they can go to my, uh, my consulting website, which is www.peninsulastrategies.com. I do coaching and, uh, consulting for, for solopreneurs and, and larger companies. Um, and they can tweet to me, Robbie Bax, um, uh, R-O-B-B-I-E-B-A-X. Good um, and I love to hear from people. <laughs> yeah. And it's easy to, it's easy to find me, Ian, as you know, um, you know, my phone number, my email are, are all over the place uh, online. So I'm, I'm happy to hear from your, from your people anytime. That would be brilliant. Thank you so much, Robbie. It's been a real pleasure. And thanks for sharing all that insight with everyone. Oh, my pleasure, Ian. Thanks. Bye-bye. 